Welcome to Automation Chat. I'm so glad you're here because we have another really great episode for you. I'm Teresa Hauk, Executive Editor of the Journal from Rockwell Automation and our partner Network Magazine. In this episode, I highlight key trends and mitigation strategies for the supply chain disruptions that have been making your lives so much harder these last few years. Then I'm joined by Steve Reardon, Global Director and Consulting and Supply Chain Capability Leader at Calypso, which is a Rockwell automation business. He has valuable insights into what's causing disruptions, what specific challenges the food and bev and retail and apparel industries are facing, and how automation is helping manufacturers, and also what he sees changing in the coming years. But before we dive in, it's time for our family-friendly, silly joke of the day. What do Alexander the Great and Kermit the Frog have in common? They both have the same middle names. So we all know that the supply chain disruptions continue to disrupt your business, and there's no limit to the reports of shortages, machine parts, food, paper, vaccines, bleach, you name it, there's a shortage. It just seems never-ending, and it is really. We're dealing with continued congestion of transportation and logistics infrastructure. For example, did you know that cargo shipping traffic in the Panama Canal has been backlogged since July 2023? Also, geopolitical shifts, natural disasters and extreme weather, raw material shortages, a global pandemic, of course, and a lot more. The Russia-Ukraine war alone has created global food instability and many other supply chain problems, let alone being a war. What's clear is that being constantly prepared to mitigate these ongoing supply chain disruptions is the new normal. It's just not going away. As a result, advanced technologies are shaking up the supply chain world. With technologies like artificial intelligence, machine learning, data analytics, the industrial internet of things, blockchain, supply chain as a service, the cloud, and other automation, the smart supply chain is becoming another new normal to counter the new normal of disruptions to your business so you can be more resilient to inevitable supply chain shocks. So I see 11 key trends and strategies that industrial firms are using to mitigate supply chain disruptions. There's a lot more going on, of course, but these are the biggies. Number one, digitization is changing the game. More supply chain organizations will convert their networks into connected, intelligent, scalable, and customizable digital ecosystems with tools like the IoT, robotics, and AI. This helps them handle disruptions better, faster, and at a lower cost. Other benefits of digitization include more oversight in operations and transportation, improved maintenance, improved efficiency and productivity by automating processes or workflows, and better inventory management from real-time tracking and a reduction in the risk of carrying too much inventory. In addition, digitally networking with trading partners puts manufacturers in a better position to anticipate disruptions and take action to keep customers and regulatory bodies happy. The goal is to transform fragmented supply chains into agile, collaborative networks all connected using real-time data. Trend number two, artificial intelligence. AI is one of the biggest trends in mitigating supply chain disruptions. Generative AI is a subset of AI that has the potential to revolutionize supply chain management, logistics, and procurement. 
Software engines powered by GenAI can process much larger sets of data than previous forms of machine learning and can analyze almost an infinitely complex set of variables. GenAI can also learn and teach itself about the nuances of a company's supply chain ecosystem, allowing it to refine and sharpen its analysis over time. There are many ways AI can benefit your workflow. Here are just a few. Improve supply chain efficiency. How can you drive your organization to do things that you do today in a different, more accelerated way? Improve the user experience. How can you make operations more intuitive and provide contextual information? Deliver new processes and innovation. In other words, can you develop a capability that you previously didn't have? Create intelligent sourcing, inventory management, and even logistical routes. Perform future supply chain tracking. Improve assembly line efficiency. Empower digital twin technology. Trend number three, big data and analytics. Through supply chain big data and analytics, you can more easily identify inefficiencies, reduce cost, improve customer service, and strengthen resilience and agility. These are all important ways to cope with frequent disruption. To maximize the potential of big data and analytics, supply chains must prioritize data exchange and information sharing. So what are some ways analytics can help with supply chain disruptions? Well, they can include using standard freight data exchange to deliver operational efficiencies, optimize routes and port planning, and reduce emissions and costs, using sales and marketing data to better predict demand, enhance inventory management practices, and improve the customer experience, and using data from sensors and digital twins to identify potential problems, improve predictive maintenance, and optimize product performance. Trend number four, transparency and visibility across all supply chain tiers. The lack of visibility across the layered tiers of a supply chain has major implications for manufacturers, especially for meeting regulatory requirements and for mitigating supply chain risks. Breaking the barrier of visibility beyond tier one allows firms to look across their extended supply chain into partners, build greater and deeper insights into root causes, identify new risks that occur further into the supply chain, and drive environmental, social, and governance goals using better traceability and transparency. Technology tools like control towers and digital twins can create critical sub-tier supplier relationships, highlight common sub-tier supplier factory locations, and provide a clear view into the depth of an organization's supply chain. Trend number five, blockchain. Blockchain is becoming more popular because of its database structure that provides chains with end-to-end transparency. A blockchain uses chunks, or blocks, of data, compared to normal databases that store their information in tables. These storage blocks eventually hit their capacities, and as data flows in, new blocks are created and chained to their predecessor. These blocks form permanent records that give users transparency into all their transactions with accurate timestamps. Now, in supply chain management, blockchain comes with benefits that include improved materials tracking from a source through the supply chain to the customer, reductions in paperwork and administrative processes, increased transactional security and visibility with suppliers and subcontractors, and better fraud detection and prevention for high-value items. 
Trend number six, cold chain. With vaccines front and center of the pandemic, the cold chain took on new importance. In 2023, pharmacies experienced significant supply chain disruptions. As a result, supply of COVID-19 vaccines ran low. But with new biological products being developed, the cold chain will remain vital. Keeping the entire chain continuously temperature-controlled and refrigerated is required for many temperature-sensitive products, including not just vaccines, but other medicines, foods, and some chemical products. Companies need full monitoring, track and trace, chain of custody, and point-of-origin information across all sites and multiple parties. Business network platforms with these capabilities will increasingly become must-haves for firms looking to handle such product movement and monitoring. Trend number seven, digital supply chain twins. Digital supply chain twins continue to be among the key supply chain trends. They recreate an entire supply chain and its processes in an easily accessible digital environment. Real-time data gathered from the IAOT can give decision makers a clear picture of everything from customer orders to individual items moving through the chain. It can point out production delays and their possible repercussions while notifying you of equipment that needs repairs. Trend number eight, sustainability and ESG. According to Forbes, 2024 is the year we'll begin to see a constant flow of regulations around ESG. Companies will be required to both understand and disclose their carbon footprint and emissions, and they'll look to their scope three emissions, that is, emissions incurred throughout the entire value chain. This requires involving supply chain partner collaboration, implementing the right technologies, educating employees, setting clear tracking targets, measuring impact, identifying areas for improvement, and reporting on progress. To get data from their suppliers, manufacturers are starting to use hybrid carbon accounting methods to produce a more accurate assessment of scope 3 emissions. Digital platforms are providing a centralized system for suppliers to input their emissions data, which can then be integrated into a manufacturer's sustainability reporting. Trend number 9, Circular Supply Chains for Sustainability As part of the effort to increase sustainability, many firms are building a circular supply chain. In the past, linear supply chains generated waste by disposing leftover items after manufacturing a product and returning to the beginning of a chain with brand new materials. Instead, circular supply chains recycle unused fragments back into their value chain. They promote a zero-waste environment. Trend number 10, risk management, resiliency, and agility. This means being prepared for changes when they come. Because you need supply chain that can predict prepare, and respond to rapidly evolving demand and product mix, manufacturers need to develop resilience, and this is a 2024 strategic priority that must be embedded with digitization, optimization, sustainability, and talent development. That means using new capabilities and tools, like machines capable of faster changeovers and handling a wider range of products and shipment types, collaborative robots, called cobots, smart packaging, and more. Also, supply chain as a service will increase in use. So you might be wondering what companies are doing to increase resiliency and agility. Here are four successful strategies. Number one, developing strategies for onshore, nearshore, and offshore to be closer to the actual demand. Two, developing alternate sourcing strategies for key materials to reduce supply chain risk 
by identifying alternate suppliers in different geographical locations to reduce dependencies on a single source of supply. Three, rethinking inventory optimization strategies to identify decoupling points and postponement strategies to better position the right materials, intermediates, and finished products across the supply chain. And four, testing and rehearsing plans to identify any gaps and make necessary adjustments. And trend number 11, cybersecurity is often listed as a trend, but really, it's just a necessary business practice. Cybersecurities can target any entry or access point in the supply chain, so cybersecurity must be a core part of digital networks. It's just a fact that an alarming increase in cyber attacks is likely to continue. Supply chain professionals must safeguard their networks by staying up to date on best practices, using a risk-based approach to cybersecurity, and investing in cybersecurity solutions, training, and awareness. So those are the 11 key trends I've observed in supply chain mitigation. Now here's my great interview with Steve Reardon with his high-level view of supply chain issues. Hi, Steve. Thanks for talking with me today about supply chain challenges and mitigation. This is a really important topic. Uh, Good to talk to you, Teresa. I know it took a couple shots here to get it on the calendar, but I've been really looking forward to it. Yeah. And, you know, everyone in the industrial sector knows about the supply chain disruptions that we've been facing for years now, especially when the pandemic hit. So based on what you're seeing, what are some top challenges for supply chain leaders? And like, how have those challenges evolved or changed over the last few years? Yeah, sure. Happy to jump into that. I, I'm going to break it down maybe into two buckets of mm-hmm. challenges, first being competitive challenges and then operating challenges. So from a competitive standpoint, and what's happened is the supply chain has evolved from being in a, a called an enabling capability in a company to being maybe a point of strategic differentiation. So if you think about some of the leading companies you can think of that they, they compete on the basis of their ability to get you know, business to business or business to consumer delivered, you know, through the supply chain in a way that is satisfactory to the end uh, customer consumer, it's a point of differentiation for some companies, you know, and I think from a competitive standpoint to be, uh, have it be a point of strategic differentiation means, uh, you know, significant investment in, you know, Stripe and digital transformation. So being able to leverage technology, automation, leading practices, uh, in order to be competitive, you know, is critically important. So one of the challenges we see is just a gap between aspiration and execution right now. So, you know, at Rockwell, we do our, we're on our ninth annual smart manufacturing survey, which I think is a pretty good proxy for supply chain and to about 1500 respondents of companies, mostly manufacturing companies and, you know, a couple, couple interesting statistics. So, what we found was that it was about 87% of the respondents viewed, you know, digital transformation or the pursuit of, of smart manufacturing as being critical or, you know, some degree of importance to their business. But then only 10% reported that they were, you know, could see the light at the end of the tunnel that were near completion. And so this, this gap between aspiration and execution is enormous from a competitive standpoint because it forces questions around the allocation of scarce capital, scarce people, executive time. And that's a big, you know, a lot of what we do is get in there and help navigate and prioritize against that, against that gap. And, you um, know, and, let me just jump in when they sure. say they're not near completion. 
a lot of times there is no completion. So yeah. they think there's an end line and there's not. So that can be yes. disheartening for them too. Uh, absolutely. The line keeps moving. You know, yeah. it reminds me back in the 90s and, uh, you know, we had uh, re-engineering and ERP were the triggers for transformation back then. And that it took a couple of decades for it to really, you know, completely play out. You might argue it's not yet completely played out. So I'm, I'm in agreement with you on that. Uh, the second bucket is really just operating challenges. So they're the ones we read about every day. You know, we've got labor shortages. We've got inflation of raw materials impacting what we're doing, sustainability demands being put on us, um, part shortages. And I think a, a significant one for me is really just the, I'll call it the changing nature of demand. So more complex, more difficult to predict and forecast. And I think that the theme I talk a lot about is for as long as I can remember, supply chains were designed for, you know, low cost at an acceptable quality and service level. It, and it, think about all the capital deployed and the people deployed to optimize that, you know, three-way equation. Well, now we've added in, you've also got to be agile. You've also got to be resilient. You've got to be sustainable and ESG friendly. You've got to be secure against cyber attacks. And ideally, you'd like to be faster and more transparent. So if you're in an operating environment trying to solve for and design a supply chain that solves for seven or eight variables versus three, it's just incredibly difficult operating decisions you got to make to you know build out and execute that supply chain. Yeah, it's hard to be perfect. I mean, it's you're just always working on something to be better. Yeah, I think the one that <clears throat> sticks out for me is that you know with COVID really drove this need for resiliency. And some of the things you would do to build resiliency are in direct conflict with low cost. So if you're thinking about building, you know, redundant sources of supply or, you know, reactionary capability when something happens, that directly conflicts with a low cost supply chain. So having to try to solve for that as an executive, I think is a, you know, tricky supply chain strategy, you know, effort to take on. So when you look at it from a broad perspective, all industries, especially in industrial what are some of the forces that are affecting the disruptions? And they may be different yeah. now than they were when the pandemic started. Yes, I think of, you know, we all think at first about negative disruption. That's kind of where our brains go on things. And they're they're certainly out there. But I, I think I, I want to start with positive disruption. So we've, you know, if we really believe we're making a shift from industry 3.0 to 4.0, you know, we now have all this newish technology and automation to use to completely change and adapt and evolve and transform our supply chain. So that I think about it, you know, I talked about ERP before. That was one technology set with a re-engineering methodology that drove incredible change. But now we've got eight, nine, 10 technologies, you know, all kinds of forms of AI. We've got, you know, XR, we've got blockchain, we've got um, IoT or IIoT you know, drones, uh, robotics, like we've got this portfolio, you know, a bag of tricks to go drive transformation that it will be, I think we're gonna have leaps and bounds of forward movement and what supply chains mean going forward in a, in a really positive way, being able to harness that and put that portfolio of technology and automation together in a competitive way is super exciting. Now, now the downside is, you know, we're, we're in this environment where, disruption seems to be pretty constant. You know, it's all kinds of, you know, weather related things and climate related things. We've got trade wars, we've got real wars going on right now, disrupting shipping lanes. You know, we've got um, political, you know, we've got an election in the US coming up. It's could be kind of interesting. 
Now we got ongoing cyber and terror attacks on you know industries and, and businesses. You know, the thought is perhaps we'll have more epidemics, maybe another pandemic. And then, you know, social unrest, it seems to ebb and flow. So that kind of primordial soup of bad things uh, seems to be, you know, it seems to be ever present and something we shouldn't just ignore, you know, and so that being ready for disruption and having a point of view about which of those are most important to address and how to address those uh, are, in our mind, really critical, you know, to an executive team. Mm -hmm. So being ready for disruption seems like it should be the standing operating procedure anymore. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, when, when uh, it, I, I agree. So when uh, COVID happened, I had five clients that I, you know, knew really well. And everybody right in that March, April was like, what in the world do we do? So we, I just got the five of them together. They didn't know each other. And we just started doing like a weekly call to say like, what in the world, you know, are there any common themes? What can we learn from each other? I just kind of sat back and let them, you know, talk to each other. One interesting thing that came up is they, several of them said, you know, we immediately went to our disaster recovery plan as you know mandated by the board and presented to the board and it was pretty it was pretty worthless you know it was it was the kind of disaster we had to recover from it didn't have anything on on pandemics right it was more geared towards fraud business disruptions you know that you might see in the in the course of business but it wasn't ready and so you know it it evolved from just being I think a disaster recovery plan of being, you know, embedded in strategy, whether it's, you know, strictly supply chain strategy or corporate strategy, that that readiness and ability to anticipate, you know, these these are uh, these issues are are important. I agree with you. That's a really good, interesting point. So let's talk about, I kind of want to look at a couple of specific industries. Yeah. Talk to me about what the main supply chain challenges are for the food and beverage industry and Mm -hmm. how this is affecting the global food insecurity and skyrocketing prices that Mm -hmm. we all feel when we go to buy groceries. Yeah, I always think of starting with the consumer first and how that feeds back. So, uh, you know, I think what's been happening is that the the need for food and beverage, you know, is continues to evolve. So the voice of the customer and the innovation happening in food is driving uh, and the specialization of food is driving what we need to bring through the supply chain. So, you know, everything from the latest TikTok diet fad to, you know, plant-based foods to gluten-free to to whatever is really driving, you know, the what the consumer wants and needs going going forward. And then from that, you know, many of the companies that are doing the innovation against that need are startups and small companies. And so they, you know, they're doing a great job. So the bigger companies, because they have maybe haven't done as great a job of innovation, start acquiring those. So what ends up happening, if you're a, a large food beverage manufacturer, you've probably got a supply chain that now has, you know, a larger number of smaller demand products that probably have higher quality and regulatory scrutiny, you know, over them. And you've inherited subscale supply chains that you have to figure out how to either continue, adapt, or replace. So a lot of the companies we work with. When we go in to talk about digital transformation, manufacturing have this crazy heterogeneous, you know, Frankenstein-like supply chain that needs to be reconciled. So, if you, you know, if you if you have even if you have a great vision for digital transformation for the supply chain, you know that when you do the gap analysis between where you are by node in the supply chain, it's in the it's not like one answer. We're going to take all the factories from A to B, you know, or all the distribution centers from A to B because it's not. They're all coming from you know, maybe everyone's going to be, but they're coming from A, C, D, Z, X, Y, and Z. Right. To get there. So, 
So I think the end result of that is, you know, you've got supply chain leaders are constantly trying to evolve their supply chains uh, in, in food and bev against this backdrop of what I described before, greater ESG scrutiny, more likely cyber attacks, you know, inflation and raw materials and goods um, that they're having to wrestle with uh, against that broader backdrop. And of course, there are very specific forces like the Ukraine war, which has caused a lot of food instability and the truck driver shortage for a long time. I don't even know. Is that changed? Well, I think there's just in general, you know, a shortage of labor, you know, shortage of labor for anything in the supply chain. You know, we've got um, early retirements. We've got people who've exited the workforce. We've got not nearly as many, you know, young folk coming in to the workforce for the jobs that we need. And then the, the ones we have are underskilled for where we're, you know, where we're headed. So it's not, it's not only trucks, it's the distribution centers, it's the, yeah. you know, every node in the supply chain right now. Um, it's a challenge. It really, it's a significant challenge. Let's look at another industry. What are some mm-hmm. key supply chain challenges for the retail and apparel industry? Yeah, I spent a lot of my career in and around the, the retail and apparel supply chain. And it's been going through really, COVID really was a shock to the system. So for, you know, most of I can remember, you know, product and, you know, apparel, let's say, we'll use apparel as an example, was, you know, designed in the U.S. and New York. It was probably then um, translated into a specification in a corporate headquarters somewhere else, you know, Milwaukee, San Francisco, somewhere else, and then and then sent off to a, you know, a sourcing office, mostly in Hong Kong, uh, to then be, you know, sourced through third-party manufacturing operators. So you have the supply chain with a really strong focus on labor arbitrage as a way to drive down cost. And so we had is a, a system with relatively predictable demand, you know, manufactured in one very concentrated part of the world with really long product development cycles, like, you know, 50, 50 week cycles that, it, that are on a boat for a really long time that then show up originally destined for a distribution center in the store to then be picked up, you know, by the consumer. So before COVID, we were already driving towards a really strong growth in direct to consumer. So driving towards the need to ship to houses in eaches, not cartons to stores. And then COVID happened. And what we what we found is that you know we 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 couldn't so in apparel a lot of the design decisions and development decisions are made physically together with physical samples in a room and are revisited way too many times so couldn't do that during COVID so it forced them forced the industry to be work more virtually to be able to work across the globe virtually without physically. Uh, getting together, um, it forced them to make more rapid, lasting decisions and make them, you know, faster uh, in what they do. And it forced them to find, in some cases, alternative sources of supply because they just couldn't get a lot of what they wanted were in countries that were most affected with with COVID. So the end result of that is they they came out of COVID with a much stronger focus on the direct to consumer channel, the ability to work more virtually, the ability to make faster decisions closer to market. Um, which just has completely changed, you know, for the old crusty people from that industry. It's a it's a significant change and, you know, probably probably long overdue. So like as an example, most apparel, you know, the uh, the top you're wearing was probably designed by a designer and Adobe Illustrator or some other design sketch, you know, um, you know, not bound by any specification. Then, a you know, a tech designer took that and put it into a spec, you know, largely a text based 
you know, maybe a CAD, you know, base spec and then sent off to the factory to make. Well, now the industry's really embraced and adopted 3D design tools. So the, the designer is designing in a 3D tool, which is also the specification, which then can become the, you know, the design bill of material become, can become the manufacturing bill of material on in one, one fell swoop. So our, you know, the colleagues I work with in aerospace and defense and automotive are like, yeah, we've been doing that for 30 years, you know, <laughs> what's what's the problem here but for the for the retail footwear and apparel industry it's a big big leap forward and really has unlocked you know tons of opportunity in the industry so we talked in the past and we mentioned earlier we were talking about automation and technology and how that's helping Mm -hmm. with the mitigation and skilled labor shortage what do you see suppliers and manufacturers doing to to mitigate the disruptions so they can keep serving their customers yeah you know, I'm also interested in the difference between the smaller manufacturers compared yeah. to the larger. Yeah. Let me start with the larger ones. So I think in a in the world of supply chain, because it's been, you know, primarily not advanced automation and I'll just call it transactional applications to support it, we've lived in functional silos. So the you know, procurement people did their thing, the manufacturing people did their thing, the planning people did their thing distribution did their thing. So we commonly use the term for years now called the digital thread. So we think of the supply chain, a, a proxy for the supply chain is the, the thread of data information, applications and automation that flow from product ideation to wherever you know the point of distribution ends along the way. And so I think what we see with our sort of leading companies are they're tackling the supply chain through a view of the digital thread. So what are what is the flow of data that we need from inception through the end process to optimize you know key steps along the way in the supply chain? So we that that horizontal view is critical. You know if you think a little bit closer to home to what we do in industrial automation in Rockwell, that it starts to marry up on the technology side. You know the information technology side is largely led with business applications and all the technology deployed in physical facilities that the operating technology goes with that. So even just the combination of getting the IT and OT gang to be functional and work together, break down those silos is a big breakthrough uh, in dealing with deploying the right, you know, the right set of technology. So if you take that digital thread, imagine behind that is a an integrated conceptual architecture of applications and automation, architected and designed with the whole in mind, right? So that you then have a view of what um, in a, let's say in a resilient world, you know, what you need those applications to do, you know, uh, in the event of a cyber security attack, how do they need to be prepared to act in that? And then how to, how to be prepared to run, you know, uh, as I mentioned before, not only for cost quality and, and service, but all the other, you know, uh, adjectives I use to describe what a supply chain might look like. So that, that horizontal view of the business and the technology, and then a vertical view of the technology from you know all the way down on the shop floor, equipment being connected through IIoT and then brought up you know in a structured way, married up with business applications and being able to use that that stack to then unlock it through um, advanced analytics, AI, prescriptive is I'd say the the most advanced stuff we're doing right now is is in the application of machine learning and other AI applications to against specific optimization uh, cases within you know, within the supply chain. So kind of an indirect way to get back to, so the best way to be ready for disruption is to really have designed, architected your supply chain horizontally and then and, and fed you know, the requirements and user stories 
needed to be prepared for this inevitable disruptive environment. And how about the smaller companies who might not be able to afford all the AI and the AR and yeah, machine learning yeah. kind of thing? <clears throat> yeah. So I'd say, you know, fewer. So bigger companies tend to go more best of breed and specialize in the technology they use, but there are, you know, a, a vast number of, you know, cloud-based integrated holistic solutions. You know, we have a number of those in, in Rockwell that are suitable for mid to smaller companies to provide a broader footprint, you know, and kind of one throat to choke and one source as a partner, you know, to go do those businesses. And and I, I think if, whether it's small or large, the the leapfrog, I think the quicker you can build an in-house capability in data science, machine learning, and AI, you know, the more it is to your advantage to be differentiated competitively. And, and there's going to be gaps. You're not going to have the right data. You're not going to have the right applications. But the quicker you have an acumen, a real acumen in data science, the more quickly you'll make advancements, you know, against the gaps you may have, or even advancements against relative your, your relative size. And I think that's when I look back, I think about what's, you know, 10 years from now, the thing I think is going to differentiate all what we do is people who get, you know, they're, they're digital, I don't know, I guess they're data science natives. It's just integral to what they do and not kind of those guys in the COE or those specialized people I don't quite understand that do their magic. It's, it ought to be integral to the business. Yeah. So you're talking about 10 years from now. Are there other things that you see happening even in the next few years? Uh, I, I do. You know, we did um, recently did a project for a company that wanted to look at what, you know, what should their operating model look like in 2030? So they've done a pretty good job of 22, 23, 24, and they were in execution mode for that. But they said, let, let, you know, let's pull up and look out, you know, further out. So we did a scenario planning exercise and looked at, you know, everything from Armageddon to Utopia, you know, on what might happen, you know, by 2030 and what they needed to be prepared for in their operating model. So, you know, a couple of key themes came out. So, you know, one was this notion of never normal. And so, you know, we and if there's all kinds of phraseology around next normal and like, but but it was just like never normal. So for people in executive leadership positions, this ongoing environment of you know whack-a-mole and disruption is that's just the way it's going to be. You know, it's going to be like that for a while. And so as they thought about, you know, what does the operating model need to look like in 2030? The operating model needs to be, you know, uh, whack-a-mole ready. And so it needs to be built in and ready for inevitabilities. And that included, you know, this, this idea of sounding of the ability to use, you know, AI to, you know, anticipate, you're not ever going to be completely predict, but, but, uh, you know, identify complex patterns and be able to put in prescriptive um, abilities in the operating model. And then the ability to, to recognize quickly and, and, instigate your react, you know, reactionary measures against that was like, was very, very critical. A couple other things came out is, you know, XRs had kind of its ups and downs, but this idea of, uh, at, at that point, you'll have millennials and leadership positions, and they'll be used to living in kind of blended digital and physical experiences and know how to live in that world. So the idea of simulating and emulating what's going to happen with your business before you actually commit to physical capital, physical, you know, development of product, is going to be just a you know a natural state of doing business. A couple other things we talked about was just the, the role of the customer, the consumer. So rather than having an arm's length or a handoff relationship, is there you know their ability? So I'll just go back to apparel. There's so many you know TikTok and social media designers that are on a micro scale doing really cool things. So the 
the ability to incorporate them into your design process and even sort of certify them in your process, it involves the customer and the consumer in what you bring to market. So the designer, the, the, the retailer becomes more of a curator than an initiator of design, which is a really big deal. I mean, the world I grew up in retail was, you know, the retail merchants and designers were the goddesses and gods of the business, and you didn't challenge their ingenuity and thought around what they were bringing to market. And then just the last thing I've kind of touched on this is in the supply chain is just in that kind of environment, you you need to think much more about a, you know, leaving a world where you've got a you know, a small number of large nodes concentrated in specific places with, you know, large batches of orders and shipments to completely different. So a, a distributed network of manufacturing capability and distribution capability spread across the world enabled, you know, through technology and probably developed, manufactured, designed and delivered in the same market. So, you know, so I think about, you know, the DARPANET when it came out and, you know, the idea was to distribute, you know, our capabilities so that any one nuclear attack couldn't, you know, take us out. So I think it's the same idea as that being able to spread out and diversify the supply chain in a way that is built for these inevitabilities is one of the other key themes that came out. Well, this is all great information. I really appreciate you talking to me, Steve, and taking the overall view of some major factors that are affecting all of us. And I appreciate you chatting with me today. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Good, good. Uh, you're a good lead and really enjoyed the, the uh, questions. So as always, thank you to everyone listening to us today. And I am Teresa Hauk with The Journal Magazine. We'll be chatting again soon. If you enjoy Automation Chat, please give us a five-star rating and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Thank you so much for listening.